Our scripture reading this morning comes from Psalm 109. Be not silent, O God of my praise, for wicked and deceitful mouths are open against me, speaking against me with lying tongues. They encircle me with words of hate and attack me without cause. In return for my love they accuse me, but I give myself to prayer. So they reward me evil for good and hatred for my love. Appoint a wicked man against him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him come forth guilty. Let his prayer be accounted as sin. May his days be few. May another take his office. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children wander about and beg, seeking food afar from the ruins they inhabit. May the creditor seize all that he has. May the strangers plunder the fruits of his toil. Let there be none to extend kindness to him, nor any to pity his fatherless children. May his prosperity be cut off. May his name be blotted out in the second generation. May the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord, and let not his sin, the sin of his mother be blotted out. Let them be before the Lord continually, that he may cut off the memory of, of them from the earth. For he did not remember to show kindness, but pursued the poor and needy, and the brokenhearted to put them to death. He loved to curse, let curses come upon him. He did not delight in blessing, may it be far from him. He clothed himself with cursing as his cloak. May it soak into his body like water, like oil into his bones. May it be like a garment that he wraps around him, like a belt that he puts on every day. May this be the reward of my accusers from the Lord, of those who speak evil against my life. But you, O God, my Lord, deal on my behalf for your name's sake. Because your steadfast love is good, deliver me. For I am poor and needy, and my heart is stricken within me. I am gone like a shadow at evening. I am shaken off like a locust. My knees are weak through fasting. My body has come, become gaunt with no fat. I am an object of scorn to my accusers. When they see me, they wag their heads. Help me, O Lord, my God. Save me according to your steadfast love. Let them know that this is your hand. You, O Lord, have done it. Let them curse, but you will bless. They arise and are put to shame, but your servant will be glad. May my accusers be clothed in, with dishonor. May they be wrapped in their own shame as a cloak. With my mouth I will give great thanks to the Lord. I will praise him in the midst of the throng, for he stands at the right hand of the needy to save him to save him from those who condemned his soul to death. Let's pray together. Father, we just pray that uh, this morning uh, that you would open the eyes of our heart, that you would open uh, our eyes to see uh, you and your greatness, to encounter you um, in your word. Um, so speak to our hearts. May your spirit be present with us in a unique way. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, I don't have to tell you, but it's been uh, a difficult uh, few weeks, not just in the city of Baltimore, but but culturally as well. We uh, Last week, we uh, witnessed the gruesome footage of two men who lost their lives in an encounter with police officers. Uh, this sparked, of course, uh, major protests that happened uh, all throughout the country that reminded us of what it was like to live in Baltimore just 12 to 14 months ago. Uh, one of those protests in Dallas, a sniper opened fire on police, uh, specifically targeting them. And of course, we saw this week how presidents gathered together to speak and to give eulogy at 
their funerals. Just last Saturday, uh, a woman was, her life was taken from her. She was stabbed to death just blocks from where we are sitting here. One of the first murders in this neighborhood that's happened in the past 15 or 20 years. Uh, We went to bed on Thursday night hearing little small news reports about something that tragic that had happened in Nice, France. And when we woke up on Friday, we discovered that it was far worse than we all originally had thought And even that a large amount of the victims that lost their lives that day were innocent young children. This, of course, was the the third major terrorist attack that had happened in France in just uh, a few short years. So it's been a a very difficult couple of weeks, not just in Baltimore, but, but all around the world. And as I've watched the news and reflected on it this week, I've been more and more thankful that the Bible includes the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is, is a prayer book. It's a prayer book that's been written by multiple authors over many years, and it's been used by God's people for centuries uh, in worship to help us frame how we are uh, to worship God. And this summer, we've been looking at this precious book and, and looking at all of the different emotions that are represented and contained in the book of Psalms. John Calvin said that the book of Psalms is an anatomy of the soul. And what he meant is that every human emotion is represented for us in this book. And as we've looked at the Psalms this summer, we've seen the emotion of awe. We've seen feelings of desperation, feelings of satisfaction, feelings of yearning. And this morning, as we turn uh, to the book of Psalms, we read one of these prayers that contains an emotion that we all have felt but often are not very proud of, because this psalm deals with the emotion of hate. At the end of the day, this psalm is a messy prayer that is full of hate. The genre of of this psalm is a a genre that's called uh, lament. And this is a a certain type of prayer that's littered all throughout the book of Psalms. And in all these different prayers, the author is crying out to God because of pain and brokenness. Sometimes it's pain and brokenness that they feel personally or individually in their own life. Sometimes it is pain and brokenness that they observe just in the world as they look out in the world and see what's happening. And I think these psalms of lament are particularly helpful for us as we watch the news on weeks like this one. They show us how to process feelings of sadness and and feelings of anger and of mourning before God, how our hearts are supposed to respond to these things. But I think this psalm that we read this morning, this psalm of lament, takes takes things to an even more extreme level. This has been uh, one psalm amongst many that is called a imprecatory psalm. And these are psalms of, of intense emotion where the psalmist is, is not just upset and frustrated at the pain and brokenness of this world, but they're taking it to the next step by calling down curses on an enemy or upon someone who has harmed them. The psalmist, uh, and in this case, uh, David, who wrote this psalm, isn't just sad about injustice that exists in the world. This is not some sort of ethereal or conceptual anger. 
He himself has become victimized by extreme injustice. And in his feelings of victimization, he is enraged and full of hate. I think sometimes we we miss the full effect of what these words uh, are actually saying in this psalm. In fact, uh, many commentators have speculated that if ever there was cursing in the original Hebrew language in the book of Psalms, we would find it in a passage like this one. Uh, In fact, I think uh, the message, which is a a specific translation of the scriptures, uh, in some ways very artfully and and creatively helps us to see how extreme the language here is in this passage. So let me quote it this way. It's as if the psalmist is saying, send the evil one to accuse my accusing judge. Dispatch Satan to prosecute him. Give him a short life and give his job to someone else. Make orphans of his children. Dress his wife in widow's weeds. Turn his children into begging street urchins evicted from their homes, homeless. Chop down his family tree so that no one can remember his name. Dress my accuser in clothes with dirty shame. Discarded and humiliating old ragbag clothes. Intense language here. This is the type of passage that we read and we think about and we start to scratch our heads and wonder, is this really in the Bible? Is this language really here? Could a man like David pray such a prayer of hatred? After all, language like this would probably be considered hate speech in our culture today. Aren't we supposed to to love our enemies and bless those who persecute us? Wasn't David raised to know that he was to love God and to love his neighbor as himself? How come this didn't get edited out of the Bible at some point in the process? And maybe you're wondering more than anything, why are we preaching a sermon on this particular psalm? Well, the answer is that because e- that, that even though it is messy, Even though it isn't neat and tidy and it's difficult to read, it nonetheless is very, very real. And if life is messy, then it's often okay for you and I to have messy prayers too. You see, David doesn't try to clean himself up before God, who already knows David's heart even better than David knows it himself. So instead, David is raw and honest about what he is feeling. This is a messy prayer that is full of hate. But at least at the end of the day, it still is a prayer. It's a prayer in which David takes his hate before God. I want to I quote Eugene Peterson here. Uh, he's a pastor and a writer, and this is a, a little bit of a long quote, but I think it's, it's such a valuable quote. Peterson said this about these types of psalms. He said, It is easy to be honest before God with our hallelujahs. It is somewhat more difficult to be honest with our hurts. It is nearly impossible to be honest before God in the dark emotions of our hate. So we commonly suppress our negative emotions unless neurotically we advertise them. 
Or when we do express them, we do it far from the presence or what we think is the presence of God, ashamed or embarrassed to be seen in these curse-stained bib overalls. But when we pray the Psalms, these classic prayers of God's people, we find that will not do. We must pray who we actually are, not who we think we should be. In prayer, all is not sweetness and light. The way of prayer is not to cover our unlovely emotions so that they will appear respectable, but expose them so that they can be enlisted in the work of the kingdom. It is an act of profound faith to entrust one's most precious hatreds to God, knowing that they will be taken seriously. Hate, prayed, takes our lives to bedrock where the foundations of justice are being laid. Now, I think we'd all agree that there's probably no shortage of hate that exists in our culture. Hate was probably behind the shootings that happened in an Orlando nightclub. Hate is behind, most likely, all the terrorist activity that's in our world. Hate contributes to the violence that is so common in urban centers, just like Baltimore, because victimization often turns very quickly into hate. You don't have to watch the news long enough to see instances of hate. But you also don't need to turn on the news in order to see it. All you need to do often is look at the reality of our own hearts. We've all at times felt instances of hate. Instances where we have felt victimized like David and we want to see our victimizer destroyed. Infidelity, comparison, competition, jealousy can all become the platform for hate in our hearts. We have all been there. So the question becomes, what do we do with it? Well, we can act out in revenge. We can do everything we can to get even or to make life awful for that person who has somehow wronged us. We can tear them apart in subtle or carefully calculated ways. Another option would be that we could just simply suppress our anger and suppress our hate. We can bury it deep inside of us and and just pretend that it's not there. We can try to avoid that person and run away from the problem. And we can just let it stick and fester in us, replacing all our joy with bitterness. Or, or we can pray our hate. One commentator said, our hate needs to be prayed, not suppressed. You see, David, knowing just how messy his own heart was, prayed his hate to God. But his prayer wasn't just venting, He was looking to God for something. Ultimately, he was looking to God for justice. Look at verse 17. He says, He, my accuser, loved to curse, so let curses come upon him. He did not delight in blessing, so may it be far from him. He clothed himself with cursing as his coat. May it soak into his body like water, like oil into his bones." 
May it be like a garment that he wraps around him, like a belt that he puts on every day. May this be the reward of my accusers from the Lord, of those who speak evil against my life. Verse 21, but you, O God, my Lord, deal on my behalf for your name's sake, because your steadfast love is good. Deliver me. You see, David feels victimized. So he cries out to God for justice. We've heard this and we hear this all the time. Protesters in many cities throughout the country for the past two years, some even in Baltimore as as soon as yesterday, have cried out for justice. No justice, no peace. We've heard all of these things. Whenever heinous evil surfaces culturally, just like this week's attacks in Nice, we want justice. We want someone to pay for the evil that has happened. We are often all about peace and kindness and graciousness in a conceptual way, and then we are wronged. And in that moment, all we want in that moment is justice. But David isn't, instead of taking justice into his own hands, went to God for justice. Now, friends, I believe that as Christians, we are to work for justice. Whenever we see injustice culturally, whether we see it in the city, whether we see it in relationships, we are, as God's people, to work against it in whichever way that we can. But the first step in seeking justice is ultimately to go to God for it. You see, we are a jumbled mess of hurts and sins and biases and dispositions, but we go to a God who is a God of ultimate and perfect justice. See, David knew he was a mess. He knew he wasn't thinking clearly, and this is why One commentator says that this psalm is David feeling his way back to a vantage point. He was feeling his way back into trust. He was feeling his way back into trusting a God who executes perfect justice. David was looking to God for justice. Really, the uh, entire Christian story The story of the gospel is a story about justice. It's about a lot of things, but ultimately it's a story about justice being executed. Because in the end, justice is executed not on the guilty, but on the innocent. Because the gospel points us to Jesus Christ. Tim Keller uh, once said this. He said, If you would, in your foolishness, ever say... At midnight tonight, I want everyone in the world to get exactly what they deserve. He says, then don't make any plans for 1201. See, David was praying for God to curse the one who had wronged him. David was schooled in the Old Testament law that said there were blessings that went to the righteous, blessings that went to those who kept the law, and curses went to the unrighteous. They went to the lawbreaker. And David was praying that the curses of the law would fall on those who break it. And yet the scriptures are very, very clear that each one of us, due to sin, 
is a lawbreaker. Each one of the curses that David calls out for here are curses that you and I deserve for our very own rebellion and our very own lawlessness and our very own attempts to be our own gods. But what the gospel tells us is that instead of the curses falling on us, instead of the wrath of God's justice falling on us, he sent his own son to bear the curse. Galatians 3.13 says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Friends, the justice and the wrath that you and I deserve is satisfied in Christ's sacrifice. Because the cross is the place where the love of God and the justice of God are both displayed in their perfection. The place where the innocent one suffered where the righteous one was victimized. If you've placed your faith in Christ, if you've entered into a life-giving relationship with him, then you no longer need to fear the curse or the wrath or the justice of God. That has been accomplished. It has been satisfied on your behalf. And now nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And that is good news. So as you sit here, are you, in some ways, in your own heart, struggling with your own sense of anger and hate? If not, I'm sure you will at some time. Are you feeling victimized? Would you enjoy seeing the curses of God fall on someone that has hurt or harmed you? Then, friends, do what David did. Take those feelings to God. Lay them at the feet of the God of perfect justice and the God of perfect love. Let's pray.